Thanks, Justin. God bless you. Good to see everyone today. Please turn to Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to handle today's message a little bit differently. I want to, um, I want to give you the basic overview. That means we're going to go through the outline very quickly. And just about the time you think well, praise God, pastor got through in record time. Then I'm going to come back with part two. Uh, and I want to talk about the deeper meaning of this parable. Now, parables, um, it, 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 it requires a, a, a heart that's open and a heart that knows how to dig a little bit to teach on parables anyway, because the tendency with parables is to just find all kinds of hidden meanings and that sort of thing. Um, I, th I think that's a tendency that we have. And uh, parables are not given to give us a plethora of hidden meanings. Parables are given with one basic meaning. Now, there may be a couple of applications and observations that can be drawn from that. But we've talked about this before. Parable is the way Jesus taught primarily to the multitudes. Uh, not in every case, uh, not with every group, but he taught primarily with parables. And the word parable comes from parabole. We've talked about this before. It means to cast alongside. It, it would be the idea of you have a truth that is going straight forward and a parable is cast alongside the truth, not for contrast, um, or, or let, let, me, let me back up and say that because there are parables of contrast, not for another meaning, but to explain the meaning, to help us understand the meaning. They're cast alongside. Now, parables um, can be parables of contrast where he can say, this is not what the kingdom of heaven is like. Or he can, as most of the parables are, this is something about the kingdom of heaven that is true. And I'll give you this parable. We call parables illustrations, but it's a little more than that. It's very specified and very, very specific. Now, when we read this parable in Matthew chapter 13 about the seed and the soils, we are reading one of the simplest most straightforward parables that Jesus taught. Let me tell you what he does. He tells the parable and then uh, he gives it a little time to sink in. And when the disciples ask questions, Jesus goes back to the parable and explains every meaning that he wanted to communicate about the parable. It ought to be the one that is so easily understood and it's one of the most familiar and one of the most readily taught on, but I think that this parable differs from most of them because of this. There is the clear meaning of the parable, but Jesus adds one illustrative fact about how the parable works. He only tells it to the disciples, and it's right there in the middle of the text. We're going to find out when we read this in just a moment that this is not about intelligence or knowledge. 
Uh, I don't mean to be offensive to anyone of a different theological persuasion than our church, but this is not a parable about some twisted sovereignty where there's this double predestination where God says uh, some are predestined to heaven and some are predestined to hell. And those I want go to heaven will understand the word and those I want going to hell will not understand the word. I don't think that that double predestination is anywhere in scripture. We do believe in predestination, but where the word predestination is used, it's used this way. Those who believe are predestined to glory. It's, there, is, there is no teaching in Scripture that says God moves through and you can call it sovereignty or whatever else. There is no teaching in Scripture where God says, um, James, you're going to go to heaven. Uh, it's my purpose. My plan's going to happen, you know, whether you want it or not. And Justin, you're going to go to hell. It's part of my purpose and plan. You can't question the sovereignty. You can't say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Justin, you're going to hell. It's double predestination. We don't believe in that. We don't embrace that at all in a church like ours. Now there are some that do. That's not what this parable is about. This parable is not about those that are going to heaven will understand and those who are going to hell will not. It's something that is much more subtle and much more sublime than that. It's a story about receiving the word that is given by the Lord. The word has to be given by God, but then there is the responsibility for how we receive the word. It's a difficult thing for us to grasp because we cannot even understand the word unless God opens our heart. That's why the scripture says, we love him, why? because he first loved us. Everything in our lives, God started, but God responds to our response. He responds to our response. Um, it's about, if you'll permit me to say this, it's about coming to the end of yourself. It's about God speaking and us responding so we need to learn as the soils to respond to God's voice in a way that gets us there. <coughs> now, let me say this. Um, it's not about our understanding or our compassion or even our passion or our dignity. But there is something that happens. We are saved by grace through faith. We, even though faith is a gift from God, faith is ours to act upon. Now, let's read the parable, and you might understand a little bit about why this is confusing to some folks. In fact, we're going to go through it pretty quickly here. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, such large crowds gathered around him. They got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. 
it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And that's the end of the public teaching at that point. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Now guys, remember, I've taught you this for years. Doctrine cannot be built on a passage of scripture. Doctrine is built on all the passages of scripture. Okay. Um, uh, he says, uh, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perce uh, perceiving. Now, this has to be balanced with verses like whosoever will may come. This has to be balanced with uh, whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. Uh, this has to be balanced with you that are thirsty here and listen. There is, this, there is this balance in the scripture where we must be quickened by God to hear and understand. Jesus said the spirit will teach you the truth <coughs> about sin and righteousness and judgment. But then he gives us the opportunity when the Spirit teaches you, when you hear, respond. He says, why is the problem? Why do some hear and not hear? Because their heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and I would turn and heal them. Jesus is saying this, there is a cause and effect in the spiritual realm that is magnified and is made observable through the use of parables. When a person opens their heart to the word of God, they will begin to see. When a person hardens their heart, even what they hear will become mystery and hardness to them. That's why it's important, Jesus is saying, to be good soil. This story is not about the seed. The seed is the word of God, but this story is not about the seed. The seed is constant. There's no variable in the seed whatsoever. The only variable in the story is the condition of the soil. <laughs> he says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. 
But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they, they fall quickly away. Now, what have we got? Have we got faulty seed? No, we've got perfectly good seed. It, but what matters is the soil upon which the, the seed falls. Okay, uh, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, perhaps 60 or 30 times what was sown. The Bible gives us a kind of a preview of this way back in Joel in chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. God was talking to them, showing them what had happened in the natural was a picture of what was going on in the spiritual. He says, has not the food been cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? And this is the cause as the Lord describes it. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. <coughs> the granaries have been broken down and the grain has dried up. What is he saying? He says the seed is not faulty. It's how the seed has been received that's causing the problems. Now this parable is very simple. This, this won't take five minutes for us to go through the rest of the outline uh, or not much more than that. The meaning of the seed is the word. He tells about the seed that is sown uh, and then he begins to refer to the seed as the message or as the word. And loved ones, to help us understand what I mean by the seed, uh, let, me, let me give you just something so very basic about Scripture. It's worthy of a sermon in and of itself, but we don't have time for it today. But I, I want to be sure we're on the same page. We believe that the Bible is the verbally inspired Word of God. You say, what do you mean verbally inspired? We believe that the words themselves are chosen by the Holy Spirit. Writers were carried along <coughs> by the Holy Spirit, preserved from error. God allows their personality to shine through. The personality of Dr. Luke, his writing is different than the writing of Fisher, Fisherman Peter. Their, their writing is different um, because God allows their personality to come through. There's that, but God also carried them along by the Holy Spirit and preserved them from error. So we believe the words are important. It's not just concepts. The, the, the big trend today is to say that, well, what's inspired are the stories what's inspired are the concepts. Um, that opens up a whole can of worms. If we don't believe in verbal inspiration where the words are inspired, then you can make a story say anything you want it to say. And you can produce any doctrine that you want it to produce. Okay, so it's the verbally inspired word of God. What inspired means, it comes from two Greek words that mean God's breath. God breathed the word. Whenever I speak, you're not just hearing words, you're hearing the expulsion of my breath to form what I want to express. So the word of God is inspired. It's God breathed. We believe the Bible is infallible. That means it cannot fail and it's always right. Um, 
And we believe that it is in error and it doesn't contain contradictions. It doesn't contain um, uh, misinformation. Uh, now we're talking about in the original manuscript, sometimes you might find a, a translation that doesn't translate a word well or doesn't translate a word accurately, but we have full confidence in the word of God. So what this parable reminds us of and what I just gave you this little brief reminder about is that God's word is infallible. Okay, the meaning of the soils is very simply this. It's the condition, Jesus made this clear in his explanation, it refers to the condition of my heart. <coughs> and I have to ask the question, is my heart receptive? Or is my heart a casual listener? When I hear the word of God, when I read the word of God, when I do devotions or whatever discipline of Christianity is in my life, am I letting my life become one of good soil? Do, you know, do I try, you know, do I try reading the word of God while friends is on? You know, do I, do I try having my devotional life while I'm doing other things? <coughs> I, I don't think God is happy with our multitasking when it comes to pursuing him. So a lot of times, in fact, Bobby Connor, I, he, he said, God told him, I hate multitasking. Now I'm sure that God doesn't hate all multitasking, but what Bobby Connor said, God went on to say to him was this, I'm so tired of my people calling devotional time with me, calling prayer time with me, multitasking where they're taking care of everything else but me. So, is my heart receptive or is the word of God that falls into my heart just like falling on the wayside? Um, is my heart shallow? Uh, Jesus said some people receive the word with joy, but they never allow it to go deep into their hearts. They may receive it with joy on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or watching, uh, you know, whoever's on TV these days. But they receive it with joy, but do they create room for that to grow in their life? We could go on and ask the question, is my heart cluttered? Do I allow weeds to grow up in my life? Oh, there's the this fruit of the word is coming up, but do I allow weeds to come up? And you know what weeds do? They take away, they distract you from the, the fruit <coughs> and they rob the fruit of nourishment. And the question we have to ask is finally this, if I'm going to produce fruit from the word, is my heart fertile? Am I giving the seed the reception it deserves to bear fruit? Central issue is this, will we receive revelation? You say, well, uh, what do you mean by, by or, or is my heart hardened? Now, let me, let me give you this. We, we Pentecostals, we need to be sure we understand the difference between revelation and illumination. We don't believe there is revelation taking place today on level with Scripture. When we talk about the Scripture is the revelation of God, we mean Scripture is the revelation of God preserved from error and carried along without fault. We don't believe any prophetic word is preserved from error. We don't believe any, oh, I just got this from the Lord is preserved from error. And now that doesn't mean it's in error, but we don't have the guarantee. I don't have the guarantee of being preserved from error. 
like the writers of scripture did. I can be very close. I can be wrong about some things. That doesn't mean I'm wrong as a person, but it means that I'm in error about something. Okay, so we, we, have to, we, we have to understand that we have been given full and complete revelation by the word of God and it is preserved from error. My job is not to get fresh revelation. My job is to get illumination. Revelation is the reception of truth. Illumination is understanding of the truth that I have received. Okay, are you guys with me today? Is, I can't tell if you're just really into this or if this is just terribly boring or you've still got a, a, a burger hangover from the fourth. I don't know, but just bear with me. The question is, what does my heart produce? Now, here are the Christian life lessons. This isn't the end of the message, so please bear with me. God must call, but we must respond. God's sovereignty does not mean it's all him and we are just destined to go with the flow. God calls, we respond. The purpose of the seed of the word in my life is to produce fruit. Now, Jesus said in the closing words of this parable that some of us will produce more fruit than other. Maybe that's because of our response. Maybe it's because of our gifting or our lack of gifting. But he also wants us to understand that life is working even when we can't see it. That's the amazing thing about seed. <coughs> I've told you how I went out in a garden one time when Ramona and I lived in Montgomery. I had, I had plowed up most of the backyard and I had planted the seed and they just weren't coming up. And I thought, you know, did I plant the seed upside down? Is this a sign of the, you know, of the end time? What? It, nothing's coming up. And, and I remember going out one night and walking over it and just saying, I'm just going to have to plow it up and plant again. I've wasted all this time. Um, because nothing's come up. And I went inside and during the night there was just a gentle rain. And when I went outside the next morning, all it needed was that gentle rain and life had sprung up everywhere. Now I want to tell you this, it wasn't even the rain that made life spring up. Life had already sprung. It was, there it was an eighth of an inch below the surface an eighth of an inch below the surface. I was ready to give up, but life was working even when I couldn't see it. And what I thought was nothing but death was a beautiful budding garden the next day. Now remember this, the condition of the seed is constant, but the soil is variable. Therefore, we must guard our hearts and keep connected to the life source. Now, you say, Pastor, what else are you trying to say about this? I, I, I feel compelled in my heart to just share with you what the Lord began to rake over in my spirit as he, he put this message in my heart. I thought, Lord, this is just so basic. This is just so, everybody knows this, but the Lord brought back some life instances that I want to share with you. Now, let me say this, receiving the word is not about it's not predicated on your understanding. When Elisha told Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River, Naaman was upset because it made no sense to him. Sometimes we are so disadvantaged, not because of our ignorance, but because of our knowledge. He said, I know of a lot of rivers that are far better than this one. 
But he was at a point where he had to get beyond himself and he had to go dip in that muddy Jordan and he dipped and once wasn't enough nor was the second, third, fourth, fifth or sixth time enough. But when he obeyed fully and came up from the seventh dip, his leprous skin became like the skin of a baby. It wasn't about his understanding. It wasn't about dignity. A woman said, please, Lord Jesus, heal my daughter. And Jesus said, it's not right to give the children's food to the dogs. And she was not a Jewish woman and, and uh, she was a Gentile. And Jesus, obviously Jesus didn't think of her as a dog, but that's the way Jews thought of Gentiles. They thought of them as dogs. And she did a beautiful thing. She didn't let her dignity, just like Naaman, didn't let his understanding keep him from obeying God. She didn't let her dignity, she didn't let that insult keep her from obeying God. In fact, she decided she could talk the same language to Jesus. She said, yes, but even dogs get to eat what falls from the master's table. And at that moment, Jesus realized he had brought out of her what he wanted to bring out of her. And he said, great is your faith. I'm going to help you. Mary understood it wasn't about her posturing and theological understanding. The angel told her something that 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 physiologically was impossible to happen. She was going to have a child, yet she was a virgin. And she said, I don't understand this, but be it unto me according to the word of the Lord. And God said with, with uh, or the angel said with God, nothing shall be impossible. The thing with all of these people is the same characteristic. Are you, are you with me now? It, it's the same characteristic that we see with Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul said, I besought the Lord three times for the removal of this thorn. And um, I think it was R.T. when he was here was talking about that that was a Hebraism that he didn't mean I prayed about this on April 7th and then on May 3rd and, and June 22nd. He, didn't, he wasn't saying I prayed three times about it. It was a, a Hebraistic way of saying this has been on the top of my list and I prayed without ceasing over and over and over again. Okay, uh, it, it would be like us saying, you know, I've prayed 24-7. It may not mean that we've actually prayed 24-7, but it means it's been on our agenda nonstop as far as generalities are concerned. And finally, when he came to the point that it was resolved in his heart, God spoke to him and said, you've done what I've been looking for, Paul. You've gone beyond yourself. You've gotten to the end of yourself. And then God began to tell him about the true nature of strength and weakness and so forth. Let me tell you what I believe this admonition to hunger for the word in this parable is all about. It's the idea of coming to the end of yourself. This is not just if you have a good heart, the word will work. The heart of it is positioning yourself to hear so that you come to the end of yourself. Position yourself 
so that the word can achieve what it wants to achieve in your life. God, through the years, spoke to me uh, a little phrase uh, coming to the end of himself that it was years before I realized how often he used it. The first time I remember God saying he, uh, somebody I was praying for, he has to come to the end of himself. It was a loved one very, very near and dear to me. And I'd been praying for him. He had a physical affliction and I'd been praying for him for years. My heart broke. I, 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 he, he had gotten bitter and angry with God and I was trying to counter his anger with my righteousness. And, you know, he was going through surgery and and he was just complaining with God. And I, he said, well, what would you do? And I had just experienced a miraculous healing that changed my life. And you can always tell somebody that's just been healed. You can always tell them. You can't tell them much, but you can always tell them. And I said, well, if it was me, I would be anointed with oil just like I was and let the prayer of faith Heal the sick. And I was, boy, I was ready and ripe. And, and I was, you know, I was looking for people to lay hands on and, and try to heal. And man, I tell you, I don't know if I hurt him. I don't know if I angered him, but that was not the right approach to take. I saw him one day come home and he was one of the strongest, one of the strongest men I've ever known in my life, uh, you know, to be a, like a normal guy. And his hand had been injured and I saw him try to open the refrigerator, try to open a refrigerator door. And that man that was so powerfully strong, I saw him shake and tremble trying to open the refrigerator door and his pride wouldn't let him use his other hand. And I saw him just put his head on the refrigerator and begin to cry. I saw his wife go over to him and begin to cry. And I began to cry and God spoke to me. I didn't know a lot about God speaking to me at that time. I was just a teenager. But I, 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 had, I said, Lord, while standing there in that kitchen, I, I slipped into another room and I said, Lord, I do not understand I have prayed everything I know to pray. I've explained everything I know to explain. I don't understand. You've done greater things than this for this man. I don't understand why you're not healing him. And the Lord spoke to me in, in, in what was almost an audible voice. And this is what he said. This was way back in 1969. He said, this is not about your understanding. He must come to the end of himself. Now, I didn't understand what that meant, and I don't ever remember God saying that to me again, but he was about to introduce a phrase to me that I was going to hear often. He must come to the end of himself. Well, he did come to the end of himself, and God did help him, and he got back in fellowship with God and, and lived the rest of his life well. Never healed, but he did come to the end of himself and got back on track. I remembered another person a few years later, about five years later, I'd been praying for this person for years. I, this person had trouble intellectually wrapping his head around the gospel. And I didn't understand why he was having trouble because he was raised in the same church I was raised in, the same pastor I was raised with, the same Sunday school teachers I was raised with. And I spent my, I spent my teenage years 
witnessing, praying, explaining, writing letters, pointing out Bible verses. And I was so compassionate, so loving for him. I just couldn't see why he just didn't understand it. But he never understood it. And I remembered praying again for him after getting nowhere with him. And he said this word, you know, he had just said to me a few years earlier, this is not about your understanding. He must come to the end of himself. This is what he said to me five years later. This is not about your compassion. He must come to the end of himself. There was that phrase again, and I didn't understand what it meant. A few weeks later on a Sunday afternoon after lunch, I had a heavy, heavy move of the Holy Spirit on my heart and I began to pray for this person. I felt that he was going to die. I felt like he was at the end of his life. And I spent all afternoon praying and crying and speaking in tongues and pouring out my heart. And I, 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 I knew it was for him. And I remembered saying, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. I've cried. I've wept. I've, I've done everything. And the Lord spoke to me. This is not about your compassion. He must come to the end of himself. And to make a very long story short, he did come to the end of himself that afternoon. He had intended to kill himself, went by the church for one last look at people that he knew and loved, looked in the window, was getting ready to crash his car and end his life. And as he stood there looking for family to see them one more time, he listened to the message and God seized his heart. And in a drunken state, he comes into the church. A lot of churches don't know what to do with somebody that comes in drunk, but he was drunk and, and he was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And in that altar that night, God sobered him in a moment's time, gave him clarity of thought. And that church, that old-fashioned Pentecostal church, prayed him through to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But his testimony is it wasn't through understanding. It was, I'd come to the end of myself. Another man... Years later, I won't say when because you could track it down to the church, not this one. But this man had just, was so bitter. He was so angry. And he, he would not listen to reason. I did everything I tried to, that I knew to do to help him. And he just would not be helped. His wife couldn't help him. His friends couldn't help him. He just got such bitterness in his heart. And, and I, I remembered sitting outside of his house after trying to talk with him, just crying, saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've done everything that I know to do to shepherd this man. And now the Lord says to me for the third time, he says, this is not about your shepherd's heart. He has to come to the end of himself. And I'm not putting this together, uh, you know, that how important it is to come to the end of yourself. <clears throat> you say, well, how did he come to the end of himself? This man, the Lord spoke to me as I performed his funeral. A few weeks later, the Lord said, he never came to the end of himself. The Lord said, it was not my plan for him to come to heaven this early, but this was the only path left for him 
to come to the end of himself. So I begin to think there's something serious about this idea of coming to the end of himself. Later, a, a, a friend of mine is fighting for cancer, uh, not for cancer, but against cancer. And he had been a spirit-filled believer for years, led a wonderful church. Now he is diagnosed with cancer and he does what any of us would do when that evil thing comes into our life. We turn to the Lord wholeheartedly. And I said, Lord, how do we, how do we pray? How do we pray? How do we pray? And the Lord spoke to me again, pray that he will come to the end of himself. And I prayed that for probably two years. And now listen to me, don't misunderstand me, but this man made a statement to his church. He said, I am standing, and be careful where you say amen, because there's a lot of wrong places to say amen over the next two minutes. I don't want to embarrass you or me. He said, I have been praying and asking God to heal me. He hasn't healed me yet, but I've come to this conclusion. This is what he said. If Jesus doesn't heal me, we might as well tear the pages about healing out of the Bible and we should never teach healing if he doesn't heal me and uh, if he doesn't heal you, we need to take this seriously enough that we just tear the pages out of the Bible. And he said this, I've come to the end of myself and if God's not gonna heal me, then let's pull it, just rip it out of the Bible. And everybody said amen and I, I sat there and I thought, I said this, I said, Lord, has he come to the end of himself? And you got to believe I heard this or not. He said he's almost to the end of himself. But he said he's got one more trick up his sleeve. He's going to try to blackmail me into healing him. And the Lord spoke to me some other things that I would not speak. They were just too personal in regard to this man. He said, but whether I heal him or not, it will not be because of manipulation, either of the people or the scriptures or of me. I will not be bullied out of my sovereignty. And I left it alone. I, I mean, I, I, it's not my place. I didn't have the place in his life to speak to him. And I just said, Lord, help him to come to the end of himself. And he never recovered. And I don't know, the Lord never spoke to me about it again. But uh, that phrase comes to the end of himself. Loved ones, I wondered how many times, and this is what I'm closing with here. I wonder how many times we've fought a battle or we've faced an enemy and we don't understand that God breathes his word into a situation, but it's not the word that is the success or fail point. The word is always perfect. It's what about the soil? What about the condition of our heart? Have we really come to the end of ourselves or have we fallen into the trap of receiving the word like these soils did but not receiving it at the end of ourselves. 
I want to read to you from my journal. You might say, oh, I'm not really interested in that. Well, I went to a lot of work to find this. It's from, it's from February 19th, 1978, from before some of you were born. This was back, I didn't have the little notebooks I have now. I had to chip it in stone back then. Let me tell you what I remember about February 19th, 1978. And I don't, I don't mean to bore you with details, and I, I won't bore you with details, but I'll tell you this. To that point in my life, I think it was the darkest day of my life. I think it was the darkest day of my life because um, I was in seminary, and I went to seminary with a handful of promises that I felt God really, really had spoken to me. And I look back and some of them you might think were a little silly, but you know, you gotta understand, I was, I was just 22 years old, 22 years old, and um, the son of wisdom had not risen and set in my life, but they were big to me. And some of them were very obvious. And I said, Lord, none of these things have happened. You told me that they would happen. I've been here, oh, what would it have been? About nine months and not a single one of them has happened. And I came here on the basis of these promises and it had just eaten away at me. And I had a couple of job offers that I could drop out of school and go to. And the Lord said, no, you cannot go. And um, I, 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 at least I was mature enough to know that you, 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 being in ministry is tough enough in the will of God. You don't want to do it out of the will of God. And I had bottomed out. Um, it was, it was uh, going to be my birthday the next day. And no, there was no indication of any celebration. I was sad. I had no body. And it wasn't just a bad day. This had been going on for weeks, really a couple of months. And um, I, I remember I went to hear C.M. Ward do revival time live. And uh, that was always a wonderful thing. But I, I left. I just thought even C.M. Ward isn't making me happy. I drove off. I could take you to that place today. It's about a foot and a half of snow on the ground. It was the roughest winter Springfield had had since the 1890s. And um, I, I pulled my car over and uh, got out. You say, well, boy, if it was that cold and snow on the ground, why didn't you stay in your car? That's another thing I was mad about. My, my heater had quit working. So it didn't matter to leave the car running. The heater didn't work. And uh, I remember just kind of walking off to the side and just plopping down in the snow. And I just poured out my heart. I was blubbering. I was crying. I felt my tears begin to freeze on my face. And it was, it was the darkest moment of my life. I felt it, to that point. I've... I've had much worse days since, but God began to speak to me. Now, he hadn't been speaking to me for weeks. Now, God begins to speak to me, and I would write it down in my journal to the best of my ability just a few minutes later. But this is what he said. He said, my son, you think everything is hopeless because you have no place to turn. 
And I wanted him to say, but you do, but he didn't. You think everything is hopeless because you have no place to turn. You're frightened because you think this place is so bad that even your daddy and mother can't help you. Now you got to understand, I was so close to my dad and mom, no matter how down I was, no matter what a problem I had, I, I could always call mom and dad and they would, they would talk me back to victory. But they couldn't that weekend. Even your mother and daddy can't help you, but this isn't the first time you've felt so helpless. Remember another, he said, I remember another night like this when you were not even 10 years old. You realize the enormity of your sin. You realize that even your mother and daddy could not fix you. What did you do? Son, you had arrived at the end of yourself. There's that phrase again. You threw yourself across the altar and asked me to save you. And I did. And now you've come to the end of yourself again. Let me assure you, it won't be your last time here. You will find yourself here more often than you care to think about. But know this. I wasn't thinking like this back then. But know this. Even to your gray hair, I will always be at this place. This place called the end of yourself. I love you too much to let you succeed any other way. You've never really felt this way before. Not to this depth. Not to this extremity. You feel bitterly alone tonight. Completely forsaken. But I'll tell you this. It won't always be this way. Now, I know I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I, I'd begun to believe that I wasn't going to find a, a bride. I'd begun to feel I was never going to get married. I really believed that. Um, and he, he said, it won't always be this way. And then he spoke prophetically into my life. He said, he said you will take your wife by her hand and she will walk with you. But you need to know you'll walk back here. Your children shall know by your example how to navigate these treacherous places. Even when you are so old that they will move close to steady your walk, they will know that I have steadied your walk even before they were born. Your grandchildren will not be afraid for even in their innocence, they will know I have walked with you through the dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death. And I will do so many more times. This is not what you have wanted to believe. But you know it's true deep inside. When you were at your weakest, you were really at your strongest. When you come to the end of yourself, there it was again. Then you have just stepped into the beginning of me. Now, there are other paths you can walk, and there will be great temptations to walk down those paths. But this path, this path called the end of yourself, is the only path of my presence. 
It's the only path that will ensure my will and my purpose concerning the matters we have discussed today. I'd been talking about him, uh, with him about several things. Let me show you how practical God was. Now go home, get ready for bed. You have Greek in the morning and an eight-hour shift at Sears. And know this, nothing will look different tomorrow. But remember this, it will not always look this way. Believe my promise. Trust my heart. You are loved more deeply than you know by more people than you know. I have not despised your suffering and neither should you. You say, Pastor, what, are you just trying to be melodramatic? Oh, no, I'm, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm trying to tell you that loved ones, sometimes the very best place you can be is at the end of yourself. You see, I would be doing a disservice to that scripture to just say, well, you just got to have a good attitude when the word comes. You got to have good attitude, be good soil so that fruit can be produced. But I want to tell you something. At the heart of this parable is Jesus saying this. There has to be a supernatural work in your heart. It's more than an attitude. It's more than just a positive disposition. It's when you come to the end of yourself that you come to the beginning of him. And loved ones, this is what I want to say. And I'm through. And I apologize. This has not been a good sermon today. It's just been a testimony but please understand this. Some of you have been carrying some of this stuff into this new year so long that you're just exhausted. You're just on autopilot. You're, you're even becoming disillusioned and disappointed because everything that has worked for you before is not working for you now. But loved ones, I want to tell you, it might just be that you are at that special place where God takes you and it's called the end of yourself. It's that thorn in the flesh place. It may not be a thorn in the flesh, but it's that thorn in the flesh place where you come to the end of your abilities, you come to the end of your optimism, you come to the end of your options, and the Lord is beginning to tell you what he told me so long ago in 1978. You are at the place where you have exhausted everything you've got. There's nothing left. But I want you to know two things. It's not always going to look this way. Number one. But number two, rest assured, you will be here again. You will be here again. And the promise I give you is that I will always meet you at this place. I will always meet you at this place. Do you know that I didn't even know it was in the Bible when he said, I've not despised your, your suffering? Do you know that that's in the Psalms? God says, I've not despised your suffering. I didn't know what that meant. 
But I'll tell you what it means basically is this. God says, when you're going through this situation of suffering that you would give anything in the world to change, you, are, you, you hate it so much, you'd say, I'd do anything to get out of it. You despise it. God said, I don't despise it. Because you are at a place where you can receive something from me that you wouldn't receive any other way, any other time. I asked somebody to pray with me about something a few months ago and I said, hey, I just need you to pray with me about something. And they said, uh, I will pray and it won't be long before you'll be thanking God for it with all of your heart. Can I tell you, I was so disappointed when she said that <coughs> because she was right. She wouldn't let me wallow in my misery. She wouldn't let me say, oh, not, I mean, I wanted her to say, oh, no, I'm so sorry you're having to fight this kind of stuff again. But all she said was, it, it's, it's not going to be long before you're going to be celebrating it and thanking God for it with all of your heart. And I didn't want to hear that. But do you know what happened? I'm celebrating and thanking God for it with all of my heart because of the way he worked. Loved ones, God has a, his favorite workshop. The sign over the door is called the end of yourself. The end of yourself. I know my tendency, whenever I think I've got a shot, you know, whenever I think I've got one more thing I can play, whether it's whether it's, you know, bullying God out of his sovereignty or somebody can help me with this. Mama or daddy can help me with this. So-and-so can make it go away. God will sometimes take you out of the, even the remotest possibility of help. And loved ones, we despise it with all of our being. We do, but God has brought you there. Can I tell you that God has brought you there? Well, I think it's the devil that brought me here. Well, you've been rebuking him for six months. He hadn't gone away yet. That might ought to tell you it might not be him. I know, I know a lot of times I've rebuked the devil, spoken in tongues against him, did everything I knew to curse him and only to find out he had nothing to do with it. God was meeting me at the end of myself. Would you bow your heads? Father, you know where we are. You, you, you know the battle that we fight. And um, Lord, I, I really, I, I really, oops, did I lose something? Lord, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fishing for a compliment. I, re I really feel like I did poorly today, but I also feel that maybe this is just a setup where you want us all to feel that we're at the end of ourselves because it's there you do for us what can't be done otherwise. I ask you to come in the name of Jesus. I pray for those that are hurting. We've received communion. Some have probably been healed. It's, it's been a good day of worship. But Lord, some of us were ready to get up and go home and, 
face another day. Greek class in the morning and a workload after that. But Father, you want us to come to you differently. This is what I would like to ask us to do to end the service. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I feel like I've come to the end of myself. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's relational. The list goes on and on and on. It, it could be anything, but you'd say, I, I, Pastor, I'm, I, I've done everything I know to do and I feel like I'm at the end of myself. That's a precious place to be. God said, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. If you need the Lord to come to you in this desperate, dark valley, I want to ask you to just slip out of your seat and move down here to the front. We want to have prayer for you. Would you come? Just slip out of your seat. Meet us here in the altar area. I'm at the end. I'm at the end of myself. I'm at the end of myself. I have no more resources. I have no more strength. I have no more options. I have no more possibilities. Pastor, and I'm willing to let go of everything that I'm holding to. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. He understands. No one understands like Jesus. That's right. Come on. I'm just, I'm at the end of myself. Is there anyone else? We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. It's that moment in your life where the promises he made, you know he can be trusted, but he hasn't come through yet. And you don't know what to do with it. He understands. Now we usually use our altar ministry teams, but I want to do today a little bit differently. I want to ask for brothers and sisters for friends that are in the auditorium today. The Lord is touching your heart to pray for one of these that has come forward today. I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat and come and kneel or stand besides these that are up here today needing help and praying. Would you come right now and just say, Pastor, I want to come pray for them. I want to believe God with them. That's right. Come on up. Now, ministry teams, you can also come and minister to people, uh, move from group to group. Loved ones, pour out your heart to him. Pour out your heart to him. Don't be afraid to be at the end of yourself. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is a great time to come forward and, and give your life to him. When someone comes to pray for you, just tell them you want, to, you want to know them as Jesus. Some of you are coming for others, a child, a wife, a husband, a parent, whatever the case may be, a grandchild. You're coming and you're saying, Lord, we're at the end of ourselves. Okay, Pastor Glenn, would you just create an atmosphere of worship for us? If you have to go, then God bless you as you leave today. But it might be worth your time to just stay and, and let's create an atmosphere of intercession and let's pray for these. Loved ones, take your time. 
pour out your heart like water before the Lord. You intercessory prayer partners, pour out your heart over them. God, come and do your work in Jesus' name.